Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, October 25th, 2019, and you're listening to another episode of the DC United podcast. My name is Michael Cohen, and I'm the Senior Director of Content and Strategy for DC United. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DCUnited.com. If you happen to be listening on our website, be sure to check out the Inside the Black and Red tab located under the News section where you can find all archived episodes of this podcast as well as links to our behind-the-scenes stories and our recently begun series looking back player-by-player through the 2019 season through a statistical breakdown of everyone on the DC United roster. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, we encourage you to leave a star rating, leave us a review, let us know what you like, what you dislike, and what you might want to hear on future episodes. Now, as you probably saw from the title of today's episode, we are continuing right along with our 1999 series, revisiting the 20th anniversary of what was the third MLS Cup victory in franchise history. We've already heard from players like Jeff Agus, Roy Lasseter, Carlos Yamosa, and many others, and today's episode we are going to hear from head coach Thomas Rongen. Rongen joined the club just prior to the 99 season. He was named manager after Bruce Arena left to coach the U.S. national team, and Thomas Rongen came in having spent three years in Major League Soccer, the prior two with the New England Revolution and the inaugural 96 season with the Tampa Bay Mutiny. He came in and decided that less was more, as you'll hear him say. There was already such a good nucleus and such a good level of talent on this team that all he wanted to do was keep things going, not rock the boat, and make sure that DC United got back to its ultimate goal of reaching MLS Cup and winning after losing in heartbreaking fashion 2 nothing to the Chicago Fire the year before. So without further ado, let's hear from head coach Thomas Rongen as he recaps the 1999 MLS season. You know, you were obviously in the league already when you accepted the job with D.C. Um, what did you know about D.C. United and, and what attracted you to that opportunity? Well, I mean, as, as the early trendsetters in, uh, in MLS... Um, DC United from from day one with with Kevin and Bruce at the helm uh, looked like a, a real team. <laughs> Their own facility, uh, players and and management together at, at, at one facility done done right with a proper name. You know they they, they stuck to their their guns when it came to uh, you know originally naming their teams. And, and their play reflected that. You know, there were not early doors in 96, the best team. It actually was my team, the Tampa Bay uh, Mutiny. But I was always attracted to, uh, to D.C. the first three years that I was with both uh, the Mutiny and with New England. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, the attraction to me was the way that um, the club philosophically off, but also more so on the field, uh, fit well with my my own way of thinking how the game should be played. Bruce was very proactive. Bruce was uh, attacking minded. Uh, Bruce played a good brand of football, and and, and that's something um, that you know is in my genes as a, a Dutch born player. Four three three uh, playing on the half of the opponent. Those were all the things that, that attracted me to DC United, and and at the end of the day, actually, Bruce was the one that, you know, had recommended me to to Kevin Payne. I said, based on what I've seen from other teams around the league, 
Thomas Rundgren's team come the closest to what we're trying to achieve, you know, in terms of uh, playing style. So that was a, a huge compliment when Kevin reached out to me and, and said he was aligned with, with Bruce and, and thought that I was the best guy for the job. And here we are in 99, uh, start of the season and fast forward, we win, uh, we win an MLS Cup in my, my first year, which which was you know, pretty uh, pretty special for me. And, and obviously the third one uh, for DC United in, in four years, talking about um, the dynasty, which, which we... All that created through uh, through '99, which which is something um, I'm still extremely proud of to say that I was part of a club that uh, dominated MLS early on and still has, you know, look back, still has two or three or four players that that, that will fit into my into my uh, best MLS eleven all time. Be it Etcheverry, be it Eddie Pope, be it Jaime Moreno, be it, and the list goes on of, of, of players that, that, that I still put, as I said again, um, in my all-time best MLS 11. So it was a it was a pleasure for me to, to be part of that organization, um, to win something, obviously, but also to be part of something really special that was created and, and, and to this day still exists from... The fan base, uh, to the players, to the way to identify players, to a certain mindset that comes with being a DC United player, how you carry yourself on and off the field. Uh, all, all of this was set in the first few years. And to be part of uh, that and being somewhat of a trailblazer in, in, in MLS with, with Bruce and Paul Bradley and, and bless his heart, Ziggy Schmidt, um, that was uh, those are special times. What was your impression of the team and the type of talent that you had once you got your hands on them for your, your own two eyes and training every day? Well, I, I, I to be real honest with you, I, I said to myself, less is less is more, and uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I tweaked some things uh, and, and made it, uh, um, you know, made it mine, so to speak. Um, you know smaller tactical tweaks uh, that made us even better, I think. Um, in terms of motivation, the team was so ready to, to, to win after they'd lost against. I, I ended up with a team that was highly motivated from day one because they'd lost, obviously, against uh, Chicago in, in 98 and wanted to get back to the final, right. which we eventually did. Um you know, we added Diego Sonora. Uh, we, 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 we added, um, you know, a few other components like rookie Ben Olsen, for instance. It was Ben's first year when he won a MLS Cup. Um, you know, so, so our nucleus still was uh, obviously U.S. national team players, be it uh, Eddie Pope, Carlos Yamosa, uh, Jeff Agus. Uh, the engine in midfield, Marco Echeverry, the tough guy, Richie Williams, the, the speedster, Roy Lasseter, the, uh, uh, the wizard, uh, Jaime Moreno, the best two-way player in the league, uh, Ben Olsen. Um, you know, uh, we brought in uh, Diego Sonora. You know, we added some experience uh, in, in the back. Uh, Jeff Onger. But, but, but overall, we... Uh, you know, we, we, we pretty much pushed the envelope in each and every game and, 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 and 
became a supporter shield winner and and you know if i look at crunch time the big crunch time game was actually columbus at home after we'd lost i think two nothing or three one in columbus and columbus thought it was over and 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 i remember so vividly eddie pope is a quiet guy but eddie pope walked in the locker room after the game and basically went over my dead body with these bunch of assholes he said uh, are gonna are gonna take this let's go back home and mark retrovery you know chimed in and, and and i'm telling the first play of the game is a ball to robert but was he uh, and marker comes out of nowhere and 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 as a freight train tackles him literally almost into the bar of brava so i looked at uh, my assistant coach and i went okay game on and and we we did beat him uh, three or four uh, nothing to get to the finals and beat a very good uh, los angeles galaxy uh, team um but overall we competed like bastards in practice each and every day. The guys enjoyed that. That carried over in the game. Um, as I said, we, we brought in one or two players that made us even a little bit better that year. And, and, and as I said again, we adjusted a few things and, and went between a 4-3-3 and a 4-4-2 that year, depending on our opponents and depending on the injuries. But overall, uh, um, as I said again, <laughs> don't fix it if it ain't broke. Thank you, uh, Bruce Arena. You mentioned your fondness for attacking football through your Dutch heritage, so I'm curious, when you had people like Roy and Jaime and Marco and you could watch them every day in training and on the field, was that just extremely pleasing to you given the style of football you were brought up with? Yeah, with, with, without a doubt. I mean, it reminisced me a little bit of my, my first year, you know, when I had uh, Roy Lasseter and, and, and Carlos Valderrama and Steve Ralston and, and, and Beppe Goldorisi. That was a great front four as well. Uh, but this one was just a, 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 another level. And the reason being is that Marco, uh, whereas Carlos was probably one of the best uh, two-touch or one or two-touch players in the world, Marco could change the field for us because he, he could ball, play balls over, over distance on a dime for people. So switching the point of attack, moving a back four, uh, or allowing him dribble penetration or striking from distance. Uh, great set piece taker. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to uh, to work with that group and 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 that front four or five got tested each and every day because I normally would put our starting four or five against our you know starting deck four and holding midfielder. Those were unbelievable five v five games. That might have been better than some of the games in in in, in MLS. Jaime Moreno up against Eddie Pope, Marco Echeverri up against Richie Williams, Roy Lasseter up against. Uh, uh, against Carlos Jumos, Ben Olsen up against uh, Jeff Agus, you know, uh, those were those were battles in practice that 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 I still savor. A, the defenders always trying to be composed but but aggressive at the same time, being able to play out of the back, um, and that attacking five, just just being able to create chances against probably the best back four or five in the league at that time. What do you remember? Yeah. What do you remember about the atmosphere at RFK and the type of support you had in the city at that time? The best, the absolute best. Um, I remember 1996. Uh, I was chosen to coach the first MLS All Star uh, game because the, the, my team was in first place, and the last game before uh, the All Star game at Giant Stadium. 
which was us, which was the West versus the East, the Brazil against the rest of the world, 80,000 people. We played on a Wednesday night at RFK in the rain. And Kevin Payne, for this day, and Bruce Arena will say, that was the first real game in Major League Soccer. 20-plus thousand people showed up in the rain. Two teams I mean, Carlos Valderrama versus Marco Echeverri, uh, Martin Vasquez, Clay Coyman. Uh, I had some good players as, 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 as well. Roy Lasseter against uh, Eddie Pope. That game on a Wednesday night with RFK just, just bouncing, you know, that we, we always see uh, on, 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 on the opposite side is one hell of an experience. I had experienced that before once when I played in the NESL when we played uh, Team America, um, uh, and there were and the Bee Gees at a concert, there were sixty thousand people in the stadium, and that was for the first time. Was that was in eighty uh, one uh, or eighty two, maybe ish, around that time when I played in the NESL for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Um, we went up there, and it was the first time I, 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 I well, no, I shouldn't say that because I played actually. Sorry. <laughs> I got drafted in 96. I never changed when I went there as a coach for DC United in, in 99. Great, great memories of a stadium that needed some renovation, but very special to, to, to all of us that were part of that uh, first four, five, six, seven, eight years. I don't know if you remember this specifically, but in August and September of that 99 season, you guys won 11 in a row uh, just leading up to the playoffs, just shy of the playoffs. When that team was at its best, why was it able to win time after time after time? Uh, tremendous amount of, of, of confidence uh, and, and not cocky because the players were very good under direction to, um, to, to police themselves, so to speak, uh, both in practice and the locker room. There was a level of discipline that they adhered to. Uh, they, they, they played hard within the game. And, and, and when we were on, which we were on quite often, we knew that nobody could stop us. We would go places, look at each other in the tunnel uh, against a hostile crowd and a pretty tough opponent and went like, okay, bring it on, bring it on, baby. Um, you know, make it happen. Um, refuse to lose. Those were, those were terms that we, we used. It was not just about, hey, let's win. No, we, refusing to lose was another another level for us uh, pushing the threshold of pain a little bit further uh, so we had the right mentality we had obviously tremendous players we had a tremendous sense of of, of, of being in terms of uh, our team characteristics our strength and weaknesses and and we we you know we felt we were without being cocky invincible at times and, and that that run was pretty pretty special, even going down in, in Colorado at a high altitude at halftime and for me to go, if I could roll 
a cigarette with one hand, there's no reason why he couldn't score three goals in the, uh, in the second half. That was my halftime speech. I used to roll my own cigarettes <laughs> when, I was, when I was a student. And the guys went, yep, all right, TR, let's do it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. And that's, and that's a great, great feeling for a coach as well. Yes, direction um, is, is important. Yes, in-game management uh, for coaches, making the right uh, subs is important. But there's nothing better than being able to, to, to touch a team and, and they respond in, 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 you know, in, in, in ways that um, other teams wouldn't by a wink of the eye, by a whistle. You know, I, 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 they, they knew my whistle. When I whistled, uh, people would pay attention. When I raised my voice, they would pay attention. When I would be calm and real confident myself, like at halftime, when I rolled that cigarette with, uh, um, um, uh, with one, one hand, uh, and they looked at me and they went, okay, I, I knew that we have to come back and, 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 and get the job done, which they did. We touched on the Columbus series a little bit, so I'm curious, after that win in Game 3, what do you remember about the build-up to MLS Cup and how were the training sessions when you guys were on the cusp of reaching your goal? Um, it was new for me, obviously. Most of the players um, uh, had been there before. Um, so in terms of scheduling things around media calls and, and, and finding your your your, um, your best fields, um, you know, and, and, and the field actually ended up being very hard and bumpy, and, and that caused actually Kevin Hartman to uh, to make a big mistake. Uh, you know, the goalkeeper for the Galaxy when and sure. Donaldson nicks the ball and, and, and makes it two nothing for us, and pretty much. Yeah, you wouldn't say game over, but that was a big goal, uh, obviously, after Jaime had given us the lead. Uh, again, we were we were confident. We, we, we weren't cocky. Um, the one thing that I didn't have to mention very often is that that lost the year before against Chicago, and that, and that hurts. This team hated losing, so there was no way they were going to lose that uh, that that uh, that game. You know, we, we practiced uh, short but intense. Uh, we kept everybody... You know, on board, so to speak, uh, didn't let anybody wonder. Uh, kept the focus on on the two times forty five minutes with you know a lot of hectic stuff around it, and we were able to uh, to zone in on on, on 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 just the task again. And that was again an ability of the team to do, um, you know, which is remarkable. That takes leadership. That takes an understanding of the situation. Uh, that, that takes keen learners, uh, that, that takes guys that have an open mind and are willing to um, to address issues, uh, confront each other, make each other better. It was just such a great environment, you know. I grew as a man and as a as a coach each and every day with those guys because they they challenged me, and, and and that was that was great. So it was democracy with uh, with a little bit of a. a, a a Dutch ruler, you know, on, on top of it. <laughs> how, uh, how would you describe the feeling you had when the final whistle sounded and you guys had won 2 nothing? Oh, I, I cried, actually. The first thing was I, I found out Ben Olsen just jumped in my arms and he was crying, so I started crying. And then I, I, I went back and rolled a cigarette with two hands, actually, um, outside of the stadium. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden... I already started thinking about next year because we were way over the the, the cap 
record-wise, and I knew I had to touch some players. So I enjoyed a moment with, with Ben and the guys in the field. I enjoyed a little moment with my myself. And then an hour later, it was back to business because the off-season nowadays in MLS is, is, is harder in managing the cap than, than the regular season, quite frankly. So it, it, it doesn't stop. It was almost like a relief before I switched the button and, and literally the next day I had to I had to cut five guys, Carlos Schumacher, Jeff Agus, Richie Williams, Roy Lasseter, and it was one more uh, because we were about $500,000 over the cap. The cap at that time was $1.2 million, so it was half the budget. So you win, and you know already that next year will be harder because of, uh, uh, <laughs> of, of the interesting MLS uh, rules and regulations. And I guess the last question I had for you is, you know, 20 years later now, when you think back about that season or maybe when you run into some of your old players or whatever the case may be, uh, what does it feel like? And, and why is it such a special season in your mind all this time, you know, having all this time passed already? Because of the things you just mentioned, you know, Ben still calls me once in a while to ask for advice and say hi. Uh, Marco and Jaime are staying in touch with uh, Eddie Pope has moved on in the business field, but I'm part of us as, as well um, you know some people have gone into uh, MLS front office be it, uh, be it Jeff, uh, Jeff Agus uh, others are coaching like Carlos Yamosa uh, uh, and obviously Ben Olsen uh, Richie Williams um, you know so it's, it's, it's pretty interesting um, to see that you still follow those guys that you still have contact with those, those guys uh, with some more than others, but that speak volumes because in this business, when you move on as often uh, as players and coaches do, um, sometimes you lack a little trust, you know, because you know you're going to get fired again and have to move somewhere else and, and you're driven by fear of failure. In, in this case, with DC United, it was never fear of failure. Uh, it was always um, one big family going to work and then kicking some ass and, and, and that family is, is, is still there uh, for each other um, when needed or not needed, you know, so that's that was a special quality of, as I said again, DC United um, that I've always enjoyed because it was a, a family from top to bottom. So there you have it, a pretty fun recap of the 99 season from head coach Thomas Rangen, who remained with the club for the next two seasons before the team parted ways and went in a different direction. Uh, pretty pretty fascinating, honestly, to hear a story about Thomas Rangen using a halftime speech opportunity to show his team that he could roll a cigarette with one hand, and if he could do that, something as, as simple as, as that, then they should be able to do something that was fairly simple for that particular team, which was putting the ball in the back of the net and coming from behind to to secure another victory. So little stories like that are things that you don't really hear too often in the moment, and, and a lot of times they don't really come out until the so many years have passed that there's there's no repercussions anymore or no media cycle to jump all over it and and that's why this series has been pretty fun hearing some of those behind the scenes stories and things from players and and now from head coach Thomas Rangan reliving the third MLS Cup in franchise history for DC United 
Well, that's all we have for you on today's episode of the DC United podcast. We encourage you to check out all of our work on dcunited.com. Be sure to check out the Inside the Black and Red tab located under the news section where you can find archived episodes of this podcast as well as links to all of our behind-the-scenes stories and other news catching you up on everything you need to know about the black and red. So until the next episode of this podcast, I hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Uh